So in 2018, can you give us a little understanding of what happened around that timeline and, and what the first complaint, the nature of the first complaint that, that came in and, and what made you aware of that this investigation had now started? Welcome, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us today. This is a very special episode of Truth Matters. Please welcome back Barbara O'Neill. As many might know, in 2018, Barbara came under intense scrutiny by an Australian health authority for advocating a health message that placed the power of the healing in the hands of the individual and not in the medical establishment and the pharmaceutical companies. This is not to say she's ever spoken against these groups but rather taught individuals to shape their lifestyles and habits to reduce their need for them altogether. It may be fair to say this is the basis for every health and wellness expert in the world. So what was it that caused Barbara to be the focus of such a level of scrutiny that she decided to leave her home country of Australia? What would we find if we were to review the timeline of Barbara's story and consider all the information? Well, it's time to find out. Barbara, welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you, Matt and Mackenzie. It's great to be here. Well, I know people all over the world are anxious to know how you've been doing and managing during these last couple of years of what seem like very difficult crises. Could you take a minute and give everyone an update on how you've been and, and let us know how you're doing today? Okay, sure. It, w it was a, a big shock to us, what, what happened to me, because... The fact is, I don't know how there can be a crime if there's no victim. The people that have put in the complaints have never met me. They have never been to our health retreat. I, I believe it's a, uh, it's a differing of opinion. But what's been happening is that Misty Mountain is still running. I am, I'm not allowed to speak and I'm not allowed to give any health advice. But I love my mountain home. And so what I've been doing is I've become the gardener and I certainly love gardening. And we've got a fantastic veggie garden now. We've got our compost bins up and running and often in the morning when I'm pulling weeds and planting little seedlings, my two little grandchildren come and join me. So I certainly have enjoyed that. Meantime as well, I worked with our cook who came over from Germany to work with us for three months and couldn't go home. She's still with us and I don't think she wants to go home now. She's 25, so I was able to work in the kitchen with her for a, a month and guide her in Misty's ways of eating. I've also been able to sit in with our, with our lady that's come in as our health coach and uh, advise and guide her. And the good news is that Misty Mountain is having guests and, and it's running very well. And then the opportunity came, we believe it was just a tiny little window of time for me to uh, be able to come over to the US. Things relaxed a little bit in Australia because of summer and it was just a point in time where I could come over to the US because things are starting to relax now in the US, in the Northern Hemisphere because of summer because the fact is people don't get as many colds and flus in the summer seasons. So when you ask how have we been, we've been great. I guess that's a real Aussie way of saying it, great mate, is that, is that right? Or we say beauty mate. But um, I also know that God called me to do this. It was something that I hesitated at because I'm quite shy. But I also know that whatever God asks you to do, he will enable you to do it. And so I also wondered what God had in plan or what God had in store for me now, what God had planned for me now. So I happily worked in the garden. I see it as my year, year of rest. <laughs> well, anyone that knows me knows that I don't stop, but I certainly enjoyed the garden. I was able to get a nice dose of sun every day and certainly had time to memorize and consider uh, where God would be asking me to go next. Well, we're very grateful that you've uh, been able to join us. And we're going to try to take the audience through a bit of a timeline 
to try to reduce the confusion around what I'm sure there's been a lot of speculation about. And so the timeline that we're going to cover today is really the basis of the book your husband wrote, Michael O'Neill, called The Assassination of Barbara O'Neill, where in it he lays out in detail the issues you both faced in the last few years. And I think it's important that our audience try to get as much context as possible, because I think what we're going to see is that what you've experienced is a symptom of a much larger root issue, which is what we're kind of hoping to uproot today. So I'd like to take our audience to 2011, where you're at Misty Mountain Retreat. You guys have just opened this new retreat, and I believe you had actually purchased this property and were looking to redo it. Can you tell us a little bit about the property when you came to find it? It used to be an old Aboriginal school, if I uh, understand correctly. That's true. Now, we used to be in the next valley, <clears throat> excuse me, which was called Misty Mountain. So that's where we got the name Misty Mountain Health Retreat. And we were there, I think, about eight years. But it was two hours from town. You had to drive through creeks and go up mountains. And probably our biggest complaint was access. And then this property in the next valley came for sale and it used to be an Aboriginal boarding school. And when Michael was in his 20s, he'd just become a Christian, he used to go there and and he helped to even start laying the foundations of some of the buildings. So he has warm memories for, from, uh, it was called the Mirawini, Mirawini Aboriginal Boarding School. It had gone into receivership and it was in a very bad state of disrepair um, not only the buildings but also the, the land. And if you can buy in Australia, if you can buy land with houses on it, it's a great saving. It's far more economical to renovate a house than put in the plans and have to go through council to get to build a new house. So it was attractive to us in that there was even a bridge over the creek. It had electricity. It had a lot of buildings and it was only an hour from town. So in that way, it was, was, uh, was an attractive um, purchase for us. Well, and what's really interesting there is, is you, this is where your videos first started to be recorded and put on YouTube. And, and 2011 seems to be this moment where the message that you've been advocating really exploded worldwide. And, and between 2011 and 2018, it seems like things were going quite well. Can you kind of tell us what things were like between this, this period of prosperity for your your career in, in this health message? It certainly was a, a period of prosperity. <clears throat> we, um, uh, we, we ran with doing two programs, one week off, two programs, one week off. And we did that basically all year until November, December. In December, our staff had four weeks holiday. But what this did was that allowed me to go and speak so every break, I would be going somewhere in Australia or Fiji or New Zealand and speaking. Sometimes we'd close for two weeks, which allowed me to go to the US and do, do meetings there. But we were always restricted by the fact that I had to get home and be part of the program. Our business certainly blossomed. We were averaging 12 to 14 guests per program and what I think really uh, accelerated that was the, the lectures going up on YouTube. It was probably about 2014. We, we usually have my lectures uh, filmed every three years. So it was about 2014 when a guy named Henry, with a, he's got a uh, ministry called Beyond Patmos. He asked permission to put the, the lectures on YouTube and that, that's when things really blossom so to speak we basically after that we did not have to spend any money on advertising because the the youtube videos did it even when i was lecturing in town so i if i was lecturing in town i usually that's in the week off i do tuesday night wednesday thursday friday night and then i do a, a saturday morning lecture on the mind and um, that, those meetings blossomed because they would advertise Barbara O'Neill. People would say, who's she? They would Google it, find my lectures, get a taste of it and think, yeah, that's interesting. So um, it, the, the YouTube videos really just um, opened, opened the field for us. That's a 
pretty intense schedule, two weeks on, one week off. And we also wanted to ask you, so in 2016, uh, your husband, Michael, he started a political party. So could you tell us a little bit about about that? Sure. What, what actually um, triggered Michael to do this was, I think it was uh, 18 months before the the Prime Minister of Australia um, stated that if parents did not vaccinate their children, they brought it in as law, they could not get childcare rebate and they could only get half of their family allowance. This really um, challenged Michael because he said that is so wrong because that money that comes to parents is actually coming from Australians' tax. He said, that is so wrong that they've done that. And then a year later, they brought in another law that if an unvaccinated child went to a, uh, a child care centre, if the child care centre accepted any unvaccinated children, $10,000 fine. So Michael wow. said, where is this heading? This, this is so wrong. He wrote letters in the newspaper and he spoke to people and I would say every single program, we had two or three people that had stories about child being damaged by vaccine, child dying from vaccine. Maybe it was their niece. Maybe it was their grandchild. So many stories that Michael said to me one day, I want to start a political party. <laughs> I, I want to fight against these injustices that have that are being doing to Australians. So... That really what, what happened. And when he started to investigate and start the party, he had a lot of support. He'd go to rallies and half of the people at the rallies were young mums with their little ones in tow and babies. And they would just come up, some of them crying, saying, thank you, thank you. Finally, someone is making a stand. So this was mainly started for the mothers because of the mandated... Uh, vaccines. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Michael, Michael said someone has to speak. Someone has to stand for these injustices. And a uh, a journalist said to him, Michael, are you prepared to lose your name, your business, your house, your your land, because they're going to just target you? Michael said, Yes, I am. He said, I'm not in my thirties. And I know that God is preparing a mansion for me. And my aim is not for worldly gain, but it really is to fight for freedom. But Michael was unprepared that they would target me. That's what he was unprepared for. Well, and the reason we bring up this 2016 incident is because two years later is when things start to get really rocky. It's in 2018 now. Things are running fairly smoothly, but then in October, two new characters, so to speak, come onto the scene. And these two groups are called Friends of Science and Medicine and Healthcare. Um, excuse me, it's called Friends in Science and Medicine and Healthcare Complaints Commission. So in 2018, can you give us a little understanding of what happened around that timeline and, and what the first complaint, the nature of the first complaint that, that came in and, and what made you aware of that this investigation had now started? That's right. Michael and I were in Bali actually having a holiday <laughs> and we got the email and Michael said, oh dear, he said, there's been some complaints about you. Now let's go back to a month previously. It was one of uh, Michael's um, gatherings for his political party, uh, public meetings, and they asked if I would give a lecture on the eight laws of health which I agreed to. And I basically just spoke on the body's ability to heal itself and it can heal itself when it's given the right conditions. Michael told me, because I don't really do social media, but he told me that 24 hours later, the Friends of Science came on and said, we have to take this woman down. Are there any volunteers to put in some complaints against this woman? Within a few days, um, a few complaints came in. Now, the complaints were from a nutritionist in Brisbane. 
And one complaint was that I was advocating goat's milk for babies if the mother could not breastfeed. The other complaint was that I advocate putting a piece of apple in a net bag for a little baby to suck on so they don't get any lumps. And the, the claim was that the baby could choke on the net bag. Now, when Michael and I saw these complaints, we laughed. We, we just said, this is ludicrous. Babies have been fed goat's milk for thousands of years. And especially babies that have allergies to the cow's milk. And you can even buy a little device with a net bag in the pharmacy for mothers to put the apple in. So we, we didn't take it seriously. Michael seemed to have more concerns than I did. Um, and I was to give an answer. I reflect back now that they wanted their answer to be scientific studies. I didn't give scientific studies. I basically used common sense and history. And they, I don't think they were happy with my answer, I realise now. And so when I was in Botswana speaking at an educational conference, I got, the, um, I got the email that I was officially under investigation. And because I was officially under investigation, I could not speak and I could not give any health advice in Australia while I was under investigation. So the ban really started from there. I have to admit I put my head down and cried because I, I cried because of the injustice. I thought, I can't believe it that they have done this to me. So did you get any... Um complaints or testify, uh, any people testify who you actually had worked with previously, or this was all just unrelated parties? Totally unre unrelated parties. In fact, I have never met the people that have put in the complaints. They have never been to our health retreat. And that's why I also presume that the Healthcare Complaints Commission would just view this as a differences opinion, which really is what it is. Well, and to that end, um, there was a change.org petition put up for you that received 50,000 signatures in defense of your practices and your teachings and the results that people had from following it. And the number of complaints against you from people you have treated, zero. So can you tell us a little bit about the surprise that you may have had when getting this kind of support, 50,000 signatures, is, is not a small feat? What reaction did you get when you submitted or when whoever put this petition up submitted these 50,000 signatures in relation to zero complaints against? Um, I was overwhelmed. <laughs> in fact, the thought of it even makes me a little emotion, emotional now at Ed. I'm in awe of it. In fact, I almost cannot comprehend it. It is, it is, is it is thrilling to see, and it is certainly very, very humbling. And it was June in uh, 2019 that I had to appear at a tribunal, and we were able to present to them then 35,000 signatures. And my understand that to date, it's getting up to nearly 55. But it, it, it was as if nothing to them, which I thought was also strange. Well, I uh, read in, in Michael's book uh, that you actually had a call to send emails. I think it was Michael who requested that people send emails directly to, if I'm not mistaken, the head of the HSCC, uh, HCCC, excuse me, that broke their email servers and instead of them reading the testimonies and then being impacted by the very real world positive results. Uh, I believe they just reached back and said, please have people stop emailing us. So when they emailed me and said, we respectfully request that you take our email down because we can't function because our email is so clogged. So my husband wrote back and said, we respectfully request that you lift the ban. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that was met with uh, full compliance. <laughs> it was met with silence. <laughs>
So the na- there were essentially three complaints. The nature of what led you up into the uh, the tribunal, so to speak, were, were three complaints. We had one from a Queensland dietitian and nutritionist for recommending for your recommendation of goat's milk for infants who can't take formula. Uh, we had another one which was kind of a, a garbled list of accusations from um, somebody taking issue with some of your statements on your YouTube videos regarding antibiotics, vaccines, and cancers. And then you had kind of an anonymous complaint from a group that promoted vaccines. So essentially what we have are three separate groups or individuals logging complaints over not anything that they've seen in person, uh, witnessed, but over your health uh, philosophy, which really isn't your own. Aren't you advocating a message that has been around for quite some time? Absolutely. Um, I, I understand because of the work I'm in that I, I have to be politically correct and I endeavor to be politically correct. I endeavor to only make statements that can be verified. Um, because of what I do and where I stand, I'm, I know that I'm accountable for everything that I say. I learned early in my presentations that it's a powerful thing to be able to present without notes. So I don't use notes. And when I don't know if anyone's listening has ever presented, but it can be a little bit scary. But I, I always pray before I present and, and ask God to give me wisdom. But because I don't use notes, maybe sometimes I don't say things in the right way, I, I, um, I possibly could be guilty of that, but I never claim to be able to cure. I never claim to be able to cure cancer and I never have because I can't. <laughs> the body in the body alone is the effective healer, but some of the things they've taken me to task on, they have said, um, Barbara says the body can heal itself, so don't go to the doctor. Well, th- that is something I've never said. And they also claim that I say sodium bicarbonate wraps can heal cancer, but I I have never said that. So they have misused my words, which I guess is something that is as old as the hills, that the words have been misused. And it is with great confidence that I present this message because you're right, it's not a new message. You know, for thousands of years, all through Europe, you know, there were sanitarians where people went to be to get help to heal various diseases through natural remedies. And in America, you've got the history of Dr. Kellogg who had a thousand bed health retreats and it was famous. People came from all over the world just to experience the simple things that I have been presenting and have been done for thousands of years. So this then takes us, Barbara, to the tribunal and you know, in reading the the book, it, it kind of concerned me because you cited that there were no medical experts in attendance. Can you give us kind of what you experienced, who was there in the environment, and, and the fact that it sounds like you guys tried to find some defense for quite some time, and it was like the case had leprosy, like no one would touch it. Kind of take us through going into that experience and then what you experienced once you actually had the tribunal. Uh, that's right. I don't know the, uh, the details. Um, my husband is my mighty defender <laughs> and he, he tried to, he, he found lawyers that were willing to come and at the last minute they opted out and the girl who sat in as our lawyer, um, I had never met. She was about 35, but she did tell us that she'd been through many tribunals like this before. I had her to my right and I had Michael to my left. And across me on the, the long table to the right was the head of the Healthcare Complaints Commission. Then there were two lawyers. They were both female lawyers, probably about 40 years of age. The Healthcare Complaints Commission guy was, I don't know, early early 50s, maybe late 40s. And then there was another guy to my left who was again in about his 50s and he was the recorder. So that was the the situation that I sat down in. And when I sat down, in front of me was a file easily two and a half inches thick 
on me. <laughs> and everyone had that file in front of them. There was a screen up to my right where at any point they could bring up anything that I had said on my, on my lectures. Um, it could have possibly been a terrifying thing to sit in, but I, had, I have great faith in God and I know that he will not put me through anything that I can't cope with. And I also had the confidence that I have done nothing wrong. And when you have that confidence, it, it's not that scary. <laughs> so there was no other medical experts that could verify that any of the accusations were actually scientifically accurate at the tribunal? No, there were none. So what was the ending conclusion then of everything? Um, they questioned me for two hours and I know that they questioned me only on the points of controversy. And one of the biggest points of controversy is the sodium bicarbonate wraps. And these are wraps that a, a Canadian doctor gave me many years ago now and we've incorporated it as part of a program that people give themselves to conquer cancer in their body. And we have found as part of a program, um, we have had great success. In fact, we have had people who have been able to heal from their cancer. So we knew that they would target this one. So they brought up on the screen me standing there and I was speaking and I had just finished demonstrating the sodium bicarbonate wraps. Now, I don't usually demonstrate them, but I was in New Zealand and a New Zealand doctor requested that I demonstrate them. And so I did demonstrate it, he had it filmed, and he put it up on YouTube and I was unaware of this. And it wasn't for about a year later, a lady told me she'd been doing the sodium bicarb wraps. I said, how, how do you know how to do them? She said, well, you've got, a, you've got it demoed on YouTube. I said, have I? I did not even know it was up there. So. Let's go back to the tribunal. They bring it up and I'm standing there and I'm speaking and there was a question from the floor. Can you do this rap if you're also doing chemotherapy? And my answer was this. It's like cutting the arm and putting a band-aid on it, cutting the arm and putting a band-aid on it. They, these two systems really war against each other and they turned it off. And when they turned it off, I internally breathed a huge sigh of relief and thought to myself, is that all they've got? <laughs> and I looked at him because I thought, now what is he going to say to me? And he said, why did you put that up on YouTube? I said, I didn't. He said, who did? I said, I don't know. I presume the people had filmed it. He said, why did you have it filmed? I I said, I didn't choose to have it filmed. It was requested that I demo, and I guess they filmed it. Who requested that you filmed it? So can you see he's getting strong with me? And I said, a doctor. He said, what was the doctor's name? I said, I cannot tell you. And he said, are you refusing to answer the question? He was very strong. I was taken back by this, and at the same time, my husband's kneeing me under the table. I looked at the lawyer, she said, call a break. So we called a break and they walked out. I said, have I blown it? What have I done? And my, my husband was not happy that I'd quoted this doctor. So that's the only time I, I actually felt a little upset. And the lawyer said to me, you have to answer the question or you will be charged. I said, okay. So they brought it back in. They started the tape up again and the health of the H for the Health Care Complaints Commission. As soon as the tape was on, he looked at me, he pointed at me and said, what was the doctor's name? I said, Dr. Thomas. He said, what's his surname? I said, I don't know, it's an Indian name and I, I can't pronounce it and all of his patients call him Dr. Thomas. Where is he working? I said, New Zealand. And they just dropped it like that because they have no jurisdiction over New Zealand. Wow. Now, if it had been Australia, I think that poor doctor would have come under investigation as well. So that was probably 
the most difficult spot of the of the whole uh, interlude and <laughs> yet I don't really think that is much is that difficult and I'd like to relate one other incident which I thought was a little strange but this was the only other one they made quite a big deal of and it was a lady who had conquered her cancer by doing everything at Misty Mountain and she rang me up and she said Barbara I have a letter there and I don't understand it could you read it to me I read it and I said Elaine this letter says that you are cancer free but you know it was in such technical terms she couldn't understand it and I must have related this in a lecture that had been videoed because they brought me to task on it and the man said to me why did you read that letter? I said, the lady asked me. Because he said, only a doctor can read it. I said, she asked me to. He said, how do you know what the words meant? And I said, I'm a nurse. You learn the words. I'm, I'm a natural uh, therapist. You learn those words. He said, what were the words? I said, I can't remember. It was three years ago. And that was the end of that dialogue. I personally thought that was a bit silly. <laughs> that you shouldn't be able to read the document <laughs> and not understand the words. These guys have got nothing on me. <laughs> if that's all they can come up with. And so the conclusion of the matter, it sounds like there were no fines, no convictions, no trial in a public court of law, but still banned for life. Tell us a little bit that about when you received that news. Well, at the end of the tribunal, going back a little bit, which went for two hours, and one might say what happened in the two hours, they asked me questions on what I, um, what I presented and I also talked about how I'd become a Christian with the Seventh-day Adventist and how they had a health message and Ellen White had greatly impacted me with the eight laws of health. So I talked about such things. But when it was over, Michael and the lawyer and I were sitting there and the lawyer said to me, I can't believe this. She said, they've got nothing on you. Now, this is the lawyer who sat through similar tribunals again and again and again. She said, they've got nothing on you. So my husband said, does that mean she'll, she'll be uh, free? <laughs> the ban will be lifted. The lawyer said, oh, no, no, she'll get a life ban, but she won't be put into jail because if she was guilty, she'd go to jail. That really challenged us. And so this was June 2019. It must have been July 2019. I was in Fiji at the time teaching at a training school and health retreat. It was on one of the main Fijian islands. And I got the email that, that I had received a life ban and they had 17 pages of accusations against me. I cried. In fact, I sobbed. I sobbed for 15 minutes. I was by myself, which I was glad of the luxury of being able to grieve. <laughs> and after 15 minutes, I stopped. I dried my eyes and I said, well, Father in heaven, what plan do you have for me now? <laughs> because my life is his. When I got home, my husband said, well, my dear, you have a choice. You can retire or you can just work overseas. And I said to him, I am not ready to retire. Even though I'm in my late 60s, I feel I've still got a lot to give and I feel I maybe have more to give now than I have ever have because I have so much more experience now. I have so much more knowledge in my, ma in my mind now. So I said, no, I'd like to work overseas. So 2020 was totally booked out for me all over the world and then COVID hit. <laughs> so that's when I became the gardener. And so that kind of takes us through where we are today. I mean, you have, you cited in the book that this quote, I'll just read it directly. It says, I remember the words of Jesus. When they persecute you in one city, then flee to another. I accepted that advice and had to move on. I feel disappointed that I had to leave my country of my birth where my children live. Tell us what 
your faith was like during this, what role your faith played to carry you through and, and these words that you've given that, that Jesus gave his followers to have confidence in the face of persecution like you've experienced? Um, it was my faith that sustained me. I, I don't know how I could have done it without this faith because I believe what happened to me was so unjust, so unjust. But something else happened and it was a newspaper article in the Guardian newspaper. I'm sorry that I can't remember the absolute timeline of this. I think it was probably late 2019 that a journalist, she's actually an Australian journalist, uh, picked up the Healthcare Complaints Commission's complaints upon me and she wrote an article in the Guardian newspaper in London. And that Guardian newspaper, of course, can be read worldwide because it was within probably hours of it hitting the press, we got a phone call from London, 7.30 in the morning, saying, we're just warning you. A very bad article has been written on you in the Guardian newspaper claiming that you are a fraud and a threat to public safety misusing a lot of my words. That was hard. And then a few hours later, we got a call from America saying, we're just warning you, this Guardian newspaper has gone around. By the end of the day, I was getting emails from my sisters saying, we've just read what they've said. Uh, we, and my sisters are very medical. They said, we, we don't know the whole story, but we just want you to know that that we support you. We know you. We know you're, we call you the gentle healer. We, we know how honest you are. Um, so we don't believe what they're saying. And that was very nice. It was very, very nice to get that. But I think that a lot of people read that and thought she must have done something wrong for this to have happened. And something else happened too, and that was a doctor in the Cook Islands read the Guardian newspaper. Now, I had been to the Cook Islands twice, in one a few months previously and one a year ago, giving health, mess, giving, giving health lectures. We found, we found it where they were very successful programs, so much so that I was getting... Uh, requests from other islands, even from the chiefs of those islands wanting me to lecture there. But this doctor from the Cook Islands had read the Guardian newspaper, so he went to the Cook Island government and said, this woman needs to be banned from our islands. That really saddened me. So we got a letter from the Cook Island government saying that I was banned from those islands. I, I am so sorry when people do not investigate and find out the truth for themselves. And this is really what uh, inspired Michael to write the book, The Assassination of Barbara O'Neill, to basically vindicate me, I guess, and tell the true story. When I saw the title, I said, Michael, that's a little strong. He said, no, it's good, it's good. The cover's red. I said, Michael, red. He said, no, it's good. And also the graphic designer, they... they they agreed that it, it, it needed to be strong. So that book, I guess, is an illustration of my husband's love for me, <laughs> which I, my, my heart was really overwhelmed that he did that. But it was also Michael's sense of great injustice that had been done and wanting, wanting to do something to, um, to fight that. Something else happened about this time because Michael wanted to take this to court. He, he wanted it to be revealed in the courts, the injustice. But he says, I'm too innocent and too ignorant to go on the court stand. I might not say the right, the right thing. He said, I, I, I don't see their wicked designs. He said, I see too much the good in people. Whereas he loves taking the stand because he sees straight through them. And he was at church, our local church, and he met a doctor there. And the doctor, I think, was from Romania, a European country. 
And he said, Michael, I want to tell you my story. He said, 30 years ago, I fled our country because of communism. Australia would not acknowledge my education as a doctor, so I did another five years to be acknowledged as a medical doctor in Australia. I worked as a medical doctor in Australia for another 10 years, and then a complaint was put in about me that I wasn't writing enough prescriptions. And so I became a target of the Healthcare Complaints Commission too. And they banned me because I was not writing enough prescriptions. He said, I took it to the High Court. I lost. He said, I have lost my house. He said, I've lost my job. I've lost my qualifications. He said, please don't take it to court. You'll lose everything. And it was after that interview that Michael had with that doctor that he wrote the book <laughs> and he decided not to take it to court. Well, the book definitely is uh, attention grabbing. And I think that's a good thing because then people's attention is grabbed. But no, she is uh, she's still alive <laughs> talking to us today. But uh, do you mind telling us a little bit what that uh, article in The Guardian said? Uh, I have to tell you I never read it. I made a decision not to read it. But my husband read it. Anyone who read it got angry, and that's why I decided not to read it. I am a, a tender soul, <laughs> and I knew it would hurt me. But my son read it, and he rang me up. He said, Mum, it's all lies. And my um, daughter-in-law said to my son, but, but William, they, they're not allowed to to print lies. <laughs> he said, well, they have. And I do know there was one situation where I was misquoted. There's the quote that I'm saying that sodium bicarbonate will heal cancer. But as I've already clearly shown you that I've never said that. If I had said that, the C would have had it up there on the, on the film. There was another situation that they quoted. They misquoted. When my son William was 10, a fish hook went into his thumb. He was playing with the fish hook and the fish hook got into his thumb. I couldn't get it out, so I went to the doctor. And the doctor put some local anesthetic into, my, into William's thumb, did a little cut and pulled the fish hook out and bound up his thumb. There's no need for a stitch. As I'm walking out, the doctor said, has William got his current vaccinations? <laughs> I stopped, I looked back at the doctor, I smiled, a big smile, which shows confidence. I said to the doctor, my son has been immunized naturally. I'm a naturopath and a, uh, and a nurse. If I have any concerns, I'll call you. And I left very quickly. Now, what did I mean by that? And this is what I obviously said in a, in a meeting that I gave. William runs through the hills, he gets lots of fresh air, he gets fresh water from the garden, from the mountain stream, he eats vegetables grown in our garden which are incredibly high in minerals and nutrients, he goes to bed early, he, he is brought up in a home where he's taught the love of God, he drinks adequate water, he doesn't take any poisons into his body. He has no caffeines, refined sugars. That is natural immunization. But what I've been quoted as saying is, you don't need to take your children to the doctors and vaccinate the mothers. Just let your children run through the hills. So you see how... <laughs> it can be distorted. I actually took my son to the doctor and that's what I say to mothers. If you're concerned, take your child to the doctor, have your child assess, take the script home with you, try the natural remedies. If they don't work, use the script. But I have to tell you, I never had to use the script. So it, it was, it was uh, situations like that, I understand, where I had been totally misquoted and this journalist did not contact us to find out the truth of the matter. 
And I'm so sorry that that journalist did that because that, that is not honest journalism. No, definitely not. A recent thing, this happened probably five months ago. We'll go back to 2020 where I told you I was the gardener and also training the staff. I was also doing Zooms. I did Zooms to Africa. I did Zoom a couple of different places in Africa. In fact, I did a 21-day seminar on child rearing. I also did Zooms to England and I did Zooms in a couple of places in, in uh, the US. So that's 2020. So it must have been February 2021, I received an email from the Healthcare Complaints Commission saying, we notice that you are doing Zooms. This is your final warning. Any more and you will be in, put in jail for three years. I'm not speaking to anyone in Australia, I'm, I'm speaking overseas. It was then that my husband said to me, we've got to get you out of Australia. It is not safe. In fact, I had people pleading with me, Barbara, just stop everything. We don't want you to go to jail. <laughs> I thought jail was for criminals. What an amazing story. And I think what it's telling us is there's something larger going on here. This is not a Barbara O'Neill exclusive story. This is really, a, as we said earlier, a symptom of a much larger issue. And while we don't have much more time to cover it today, I just wanted to get your perspective, Barbara, on what's changed with this health message from when you first started to where we are today. I know we're in a, in a global uh, health crisis, and it seems more and more that any room for alternate opinions or different ways of looking how to solve a medical issue is being uprooted and removed completely in a very aggressive manner, leaving no room for anyone to have any discussion on the viability of these methods or the risks that are posed from the methods that are being used to treat people now for the current crisis that we're in. So can you just quickly kind of give us a, a snapshot of what you think has happened to the health message and maybe why it's happening so aggressively changing to what it is today. Thanks, Matt. I, I like your word aggressive because, you see, I used to work in the operating theatre as a psychiatric nurse and surgery is violent. Now, I'm not against surgery. Surgery's come a long way. If I broke my leg in 10 places, I think I'd appreciate surgery. So I'm not against surgery. And it is something that in some cases it must happen. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. And don't we love the drugs that put you to sleep while you have surgery? There's, I have absolutely no complaints about that. But what it is with the uh, natural medicine is it's very, very gentle. And that's what I love about it. And it works with the healing powers of the body. You've got nothing to lose if you try a grated potato poultice and it doesn't work. You've got nothing to lose if you do a sodium bicarbonate wrap and you feel it's not doing a lot. You've got nothing to lose. But with the medical treatments today, if you do it and you decide it hasn't worked, you've lost a lot because of, of the damage that the medical ones do. So you are right, Matt. There's something more sinister behind the scenes. There must be for them to be so much opposition against natural methods of healing. I know many naturopaths in Australia who are, are working and they say to me, I'm a little bit worried if I'll be taken down. I said, you won't be taken down because your husband doesn't have a political party. So I say to natural therapists worldwide, relax, I believe you're safe. <laughs> and that's all I ever wanted to be was just gently and silently and quietly in the background, helping as many people as I can to bring about a healing condition in their body and get relief. That's, that's really what the natural methods do. So you're right, Matt, there's something further afield here. And I think never in the history of mankind have natural treatments been more important because we're hearing horrific stories about deaths from the coronavirus, about the blood clots. So many things are coming out and yet there's no side effect from using natural methods of healing. And if 
9% of people heal or recover from the coronavirus. And by the way, if their bodies are given the right conditions, they can recover in three days instead of two weeks. And they're the simple, natural methods of healing. So using common sense, it, it defies reason that anyone would have a complaint about these natural methods of healing. And I hesitate to say what I'm about to say next. So I'm going to say this was five years ago. There were four doctors that got me to go to their towns and give these messages because they know if everyone knew what to do to their bodies when they get sick, casualty visits would drop, doctor visits would drop. How many doctors don't have room to have any more patients? So I hesitate to say it because far be it from me to put those doctors in a position where they might lose their their credentials. So I say five years ago because maybe they're not practicing anymore. Maybe they've retired, so they can't be taken down. So I think the main thing from all of this is that we need to understand our body and just the freedom to choose what route we want to go. Do we want to try certain natural methods of healing that aid the body in healing itself? Or do we want to take conventional route? But we at least need that choice. We, we, it's not a free country if we're forced to go a certain way that only benefits a certain group of people. That's absolutely right. I think, well, well said, Mackenzie. And this is what my husband's political party is about. It's the Informed Medical Options Party. Notice the word informed. Notice the word option. It's really a political party that is fighting for free choice. You see, God's government is a government of choice and it is our God-given right as human beings to be able to choose. If someone chooses the vaccine, I respect their choice. And what I would like is that same respect back if I choose not to have the vaccine. I also was going to say um, young people in their 30s and 40s might not recall the light horse, the light horseman. The light horseman was a group of soldiers, hundreds, I think it may be even thousands, who, who fought in the First World War. My grandfather was a light horseman. Please Google it. You'll be, you'll be um, impressed with this Australian light horseman. They were fearless. My grandfather went to war with a total disregard for his safety to fight for my freedoms. Now, my freedoms have been taken away from me they have been in Australia under the guise of safety. And I find it interesting that uh, Michael's political party has a, a very principled point in the sense that how many people have exhausted traditional medical treatments to only have doctors, surgeons, and medical practitioners tell, me tell them there's no more options, only to come try the natural remedies as a last resort. And really, what other options would they have? So at that point, what would you have someone do if they couldn't choose a natural remedy when traditional medicine has said, we can no longer help you? And I imagine many of the people that came to you fit that criteria. They certainly do. 